Did you guys notice that slick head nod that David gave me? Because I was not paying attention until he went. So I thought, man, for, smooth, for seamless flow, I better get up here and get it going. So a couple of weeks ago, we had our devotional talk around what a yoke is, and I had mentioned during that time frame that it may sound like I was speaking totally against tradition and said that we would talk about it some more later. Well, today is later. And so I thought I would start with, you know, just talking about that word tradition. How many of us, when you hear that word, automatically go, mmm? Just kind of cringe when you hear it, right? And we kind of like, all right, something about Jeremy before I, I'll step off from the notes for a second. One of my absolute favorite genres of movie, if you had to guess, I guarantee you, you'd be wrong. Musicals. Absolute favorite genre of movie. And my absolute favorite on my top five list of musicals that I will watch any time that it's on is Fiddler on the Roof. And the reason that's in my top five, because for whatever reason, there's a law that is written about musicals that there has to be one song that is just atrocious in every musical, except Fiddler on the Roof. Every song in that production is fantastic. And if, if, have you guys seen Fiddler on the Roof or at least familiar with it? You guys remember, for those of you that have seen it, remember at the beginning with that great tradition, that song, and you get introduced to Tevia, who is the milkman of the story, and he is talking to us about what life is like in his village. And he says, here in Anatevka, we have traditions for everything. How to sleep, how to eat, how to work, how to wear our clothes. For instance, he says, we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. Now you may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. And I think a lot of times when we start talking about traditions, that's where we end up, right? Why do we do what we do over and over and over and over and over again? And somebody asks us that question and we go, I don't know. And if that was where the story ended as Tevia is trying to explain what traditions are, this would be lame. But he continues and he says, uh, he says, but because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. You see, I, I, I think that we may balk at the idea of tradition. In fact, I would, I would submit to you at one point in our lives, most of us probably chafed at them and hated them and just couldn't stand if we were going to do something because of tradition. Am I right or wrong? But how many of us do the same thing every year on December 25th? Oh, so it's not traditions that we have a problem with. Because we're perfectly happy to engage in traditions that we establish and we do. Right? I'll tell you one of our family traditions is every year, the guy who doesn't eat turkey at Thanksgiving has to make the turkey. That's me. Turkey is foul. Yeah, now it's dawning on people. Okay. 
but I'm the one that's up early enough to put the stupid bird in the oven to get it cooking, and so it has become tradition that Jeremy cooks a turkey. Well, that tradition was then handed over to my son because he's also up early, and he says, Dad, why do I have to cook the turkey? I don't like turkey. I said, tradition. That's how it works, right? So I, I, I think that maybe we don't have a problem with tradition. I think what we have a problem with is not understanding why we do what we do at times. And maybe we have a problem because we're maybe a little too lazy to do the investigation to find out why we do what we do. It's like the, the story of the young lady who freshly married and first Thanksgiving dinner at home and they're not going to be able to see their family and she just really wants to do a good job for her new husband and so she calls her mom and says, Mom, how do I make the Thanksgiving ham? What do I do? And she says, okay, well you just go to the store, you buy the ham, you bring it home and you cut about two inches off the end of it, put it in the pot or put it in the pan and put it in the oven for the prescribed cooking time to just get it warmed up. It's ham, you don't cook it, you just warm it up. So the young lady goes to the store, gets her ham, comes back, measures out her two inches, cuts the two inches off the end of it, puts it in the pan and sticks it in the oven for, this, for the prescribed time and goes about her regular meal preparations and then when Thanksgiving, some of you have heard this story. So, they sit down and her husband looks at her and goes, this is fantastic, hon, but I have a question. Why did you cut part of the ham off? And she said, well, that's what mom told me to do. He said, but why? I don't know. So they call the mom. And they say, mom, why do you cut two inches off of the ham before you put it in the pan and stick it in the oven? And she says, well, that's what my mom taught me. Well, why? I don't know. Let's call grandma. So they call grandma and say, grandma, why do we cut two inches off the end of the ham before we put it in the pan to put it in the oven? She said, why are you doing that? She said, because that's the way you taught us to do it. She said, the only reason I was doing that is so it would fit in the pan. So even at times when we can find ourselves doing things that traditionally, and we do the investigation, we realize there's really no good cause for what we're doing. But at other times, we read scripture like 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Turn over there with me and read this one with me, guys. Because I think that traditions are powerful and they're good for us as God's people because what they do, it, it, they ground us in our identity uh, and they prepare us to be a people a community. And it's a great teaching method that we can use. And I know that we do this even with our kids at home. We use traditions to teach our kids lessons about family, about why we're doing certain things. But look at what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 13. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> he says, this is 2 Thessalonians 2.13, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. And so what, notice what Paul is doing here is he's, he's breaking some of these things down. 
that he speaks about what God has accomplished through the gospel for the Christians in Thessalonica. Okay, uh, this is, this is that, that commandment, that the gospel message. He says, look at what God did for you in the gospel. Uh, but you also need to pay attention to the traditions that we have taught you. Notice he doesn't say the commandments. But the traditions that we taught you, whether by word of mouth or just in writing that we've delivered to you, because these traditions will continue to teach you, will continue to ground you in your identity that's founded by the gospel in Jesus. It's going to bring you together as a people. You're going to be able to know what your identity is. You're going to be able to actually be a community through these things that you are doing. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so these, these godly traditions, and I, and I think that there's probably more godly traditions than there are ungodly traditions, by the way. These godly traditions bind us. They bring us closer together in relationship, but not just with each other. The purpose of tradition from a biblical perspective is to bring us in closer relationship with God through the teaching methods that it's using. It helps us know who God is better. And it falls into that realm of not command, but something that lies on the biblical command principles. And so we can operate in that way. Yeah, and understand, these, most of these traditions aren't ordained by God. He's not coming down and saying, oh, by the way, here's the command, and here's the things that I want you to do for teaching methods and traditions to help you understand what's going to do all of this. That these are things that happen in community. Example, anybody ever heard of the Feast of Purim? Esther, familiar now with the story? Remember the salvation of the Jews? And when you go back to Esther chapter 9... Mordecai records these events, this is verse 20, and, and he sends letters to all the Jews who were in the province of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to celebrate the 14th day of the month of Adar and the 15th day of the same month annually. Because on those days, the Jews rid themselves of their enemies, and it was a month which was turned for them from sorrow into gladness, from morning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and rejoicing and sending portions of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Why were they celebrating this? And do, why do they still celebrate this today? Why do Jewish communities still celebrate this? Because it grounds them in their identity. It brings them closer together as a community and it helps them be closer in their relationship with God. But this isn't something that God ordained that they would do every year. It's what they did. But I do, as we talk about the goodness of tradition, I think we need to also put that caveat in there that are, there are some dangers to them as well that we need to talk about in this. Okay? <clears throat> because traditions, and understand that traditions only become dangerous when we allow them to supersede command. Right? You look at Mark chapter 7, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and I won't get too deep into this because we're going to hit it here in a few weeks on Sunday morning from the pulpit. But notice what Jesus says to him there in Mark 7, starting in verse 6. He says, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God... 
you hold to the tradition of men. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God to keep your tradition. So there is a point when tradition becomes dangerous to God's people. It's at that point where we decide, notice, we decide to let the tradition supersede God's commandments, what he's taught us. Which, by the way, if we're following the purpose of a tradition and actually engaging in it, if, if we're allowing the tradition to supersede God's command, it's no longer accomplishing those purposes that I talked about. It no longer grounds us in our identity as God's people. It no longer creates a community. It no longer brings us or facilitates a closer relationship with God. All right? Or you look at Matthew 23, 23 and 24. Jesus is pronouncing the woes to the Pharisees there. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe, mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. It's a, a humorous picture that Jesus presents to these guys. But it's another example, I think, of them neglecting commandments so that they could do what they wanted to do, which they were applying to the traditions. So the problem is not tradition. Okay? The problem is not traditions. The problem is allowing tradition to keep a person from actually having a relationship with God. And that's where the problem lies. Neglecting commands is not the way. It's not the way. And if we're taking that perspective on traditions, then I think we will find ourselves understanding and enjoying those traditions. Not chafing against them or kicking against them but actually enjoying them. Because here's the deal, <clears throat> okay? Here's the deal. God expects us to be able to determine whether or not a tradition will ground us in our identity, will bind us together as a community, and bring us into a deeper relationship with him. He has enough faith in our intelligence that we can figure that one out. But if they don't, then they're nothing more than sacred cows. You guys know what a sacred cow is, right? Some of you are nodding your head. Some of you are looking at me going, must be some Iowa thing. No, it's actually not. A sacred cow very simply is a cow that's been around forever. It's kind of like the, the story about the three-legged dog, the guy with the, or the three-legged pig. You, you heard this one? Okay. I got stories for days. Guy's driving on an old country road and he comes across this farm and he sees this big old three-legged pig out in the front yard just kind of milling around and doing. And he's, he's looking at that and he's thinking, man, that farmer should just put that pig out of his memory, butcher him up and put him in the, in the freezer for the future. But I I'm just, I'm just don't understand why he's keeping a three-legged pig. And so he decides to pull into this farmer's driveway and go talk to this farmer. And he says, hey, he goes, hey, I'm just driving by and I saw this big old three-legged three pig out in the front yard. He goes, oh man, that pig, couldn't live without that pig. What? What are you talking about? <clears throat> and he says, oh, that pig, he's the best guard pig you've ever seen, better than any dog I've ever had. 
Nobody comes into my house and that pig will stop him. Right? He, he mows the grass for me. He waters my garden. He does everything I need him to do. I need to be done around this place. That three-legged pig is indispensable. And he says, well, why do you got a, Why has he only got three legs? And he goes, you don't need a pig like that all at once. That's a sacred cow. Just holding on to it for the sake of holding on to it. Kind of like the Israelites at Mount Sinai. Golden calf. You know it ain't right, but you just got to keep holding on to it. Well, here's the deal. Sacred cows need to be made into hamburger. They need to be ground up. They need to be thrown away. Because a tradition that doesn't accomplish what God's fundamental purposes for his people is is dangerous. It's neglecting God's commands. It's not helping us be who God wants us to be. And that's what traditions do. You know, there's a tradition that we engage in on a regular basis in the churches of Christ. We're about to actually engage in it. Are you ready? It's called the invitation song. Why do the churches of Christ offer an invitation every time we meet? I mean, yeah, Peter kind of offers one at the end of his sermon, so we could go to a biblical pattern for that, right? But why do we do it? Because we understand, as God's people, that God wants relationship with his creation. He wants relationship with mankind. He sent his son to die for mankind. And we understand that while we may not have book, chapter, and verse that we can point to for an invitation song or an invitation at the end of the lesson, we also understand that traditionally this will help us bind us together as an, a community. It grounds us in our identity and it helps people get in a closer relationship with God. So that's what we do. We don't balk at it. We, we enjoy it. We don't chafe at it. We're thankful for the opportunity to engage in it. So David's got the song for us, because I'm about done talking. And we're going to engage in this, for lack of a better word, tradition, pattern, if you like that better. To offer the opportunity for those that are here tonight who have not made the greatest confession that mankind can ever make, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that, I, that you are ready to die to self, to live to him. Be baptized in the water, raised a new creature, added to the kingdom, sins forgiven, conscience cleansed, ready to continue on following him as your master. If you're ready to take that step, this is the time. If you're a member of the body and you're struggling, trying to figure out where you fit in in this whole body life thing, well, the elders can probably help you in that Regard. They can point you in the direction. They can counsel you if you find yourself struggling. They'll pray with you. They'll pray for you. But one of the things, and I think that we have a fantastic set of elders here, but one of the things that they are absolutely not good at, they, in fact, I've seen them fail every time they've tried, is reading people's minds. That we have to trust each other enough to communicate what we're going through. And if you find yourself in that position and ready to trust, if you find yourself ready to become a Christian, then we encourage you, come forward, make that known while we stand and sing.